Our scripture passage this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We were doing a, a summer series in the Psalms and a couple of special messages the last two weeks. In Colossians, we're doing a one-off message this week to try to figure out together what exactly are we about as a church and where are we going this fall to orient you, orient our whole church family, and hopefully be a particular blessing to those of you who are new to our church and checking us out and figuring out what are, what are, what are they about. Um, <coughs> the passage will be up here on the screen. Hopefully, we'll trust that in faith. I think it will be this time. Um, and then um, there are blue Bibles in the baskets in front of we, you. We definitely encourage you to pull those out and follow along with us if you don't have a Bible. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, now you do. You can take one of those with you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. If you are physically able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. This is verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the true and authoritative word of our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are amazed that you would entrust us with this, this kind of a mission. Um, we're encouraged that you've promised to be with us along the way. And speaking of your presence, I pray that your Holy Spirit would transform us as we hear from this text. That it would, it would change us, that we would leave here. <coughs> our affections for you would be increased. Uh, you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, correct us where we need to be corrected. Um, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Each Sunday morning at City Church, we welcome you with our vision statement, <coughs> our aspiration to be an authentic community walking with God in our city. That's where we hope the Lord takes us, that's based on this, this biblical model where, where faithful churches seem to be places where we love one another well, we love the Lord, and then we love the other. That's basically what we're talking about. Behind all of that, though, is our daily mission <coughs> individually and as a church to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And where do we get that? Right here in Matthew chapter 28. This is a famous Great Commission passage in which Jesus tells his disciples to make more disciples. <coughs> Clearly the twelve, which have now been pared down to eleven on account of Judas's betrayal, who have been following Jesus, these twelve, now eleven, have become disciples in the sense that they've experienced a certain amount of spiritual transformation. <coughs> and now their mission, as Jesus says it, is to go make more disciples. And it's implied that those new disciples, that the disciples make, would then make more disciples, and then they would make even more disciples, and on and on it goes. Here's a really encouraging example. Past two Sundays, we had special messages in the book of Colossians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church 
at Colossae. Paul was not one of Jesus' original disciples, but he was divinely called and commissioned by Jesus to be an apostle after experiencing this miraculous conversion. And then he spent the rest of his life starting and ministering to all kinds of churches around the Mediterranean basin. However, Paul did not start the church at Colossae, which I actually find profoundly encouraging. He started a lot of them, but not this one. Apparently, and you can see this in Acts chapter 19, a Colossian named Epaphras became a Christian during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and then Epaphras traveled back to Colossae and told other people about Jesus, and they became Christians and told other people about Jesus, and then we have a church. And then one thing led to another, to be really brief, and here we are today. Seriously. City Church exists because countless Jesus followers across history have made disciples who then go out and make more disciples. Our mission is to continue that same disciple-making tradition, trusting that God will use us as well as he works in great power. And because this is our mission, it's important that we regularly unpack it for the sake of missional clarity. What exactly are we doing as a church community? Missional faithfulness, are we actually doing that, or have we drifted off course? And then missional shrewdness, you might say. How do we go about this mission in our particular context in light of all of its competing takes on how we should be living and what we should be living for? So we've preached this Matthew 28 passage a few times in the 10-year history of our church, but this morning I'm actually emphasizing some different elements that are in line with where I believe the Lord is guiding us this year as a church family. And my prayer is twofold that folks during our time this morning who have been in our church for a while will get some, some fresh wind in their sails, and those of you who are new to our church might have a better sense of who we are and where we're going. That's my prayer. Two questions this morning as we explore this mission together. Number one, what in the world are disciples? And we're actually going to be spending most of our time on that question. And then number two, how do we make them? So what are they, and how do we make them? Let's start with that first question. What are disciples? This term disciple is both very biblical, but also very lingo-y, especially when we turn it into a verb and use it in phrases like, I'm going to disciple you. Christians are basically the only people in the world who talk like this. And admittedly, we don't always do a very good job explaining what we mean when we say that. In fact, if you're sitting here this morning and you're not very familiar with Christianity, you might think that this is something that Stone Cold Steve Austin might say at a WWE match before it hits you with a folding chair. It sounds kind of, it seems kind of aggressive. But since this is biblical language, it's worth retaining as long as we explain it well. A project that actually has mainly to do with showing rather than telling. Case in point, the book of Matthew, you're not going to find in Matthew this like <coughs> dictionary definition of a disciple. Instead, Matthew shows us what disciples are as Jesus calls his disciples and then forms them throughout his earthly ministry. And here's what we learn as we watch this gospel narrative in the book of Matthew play out. 
we learn that we should define disciples both in terms of what they are doing and in terms of what they are becoming, which are in fact related. The doing helps catalyze the becoming, which swings back around and catalyzes even more doing. <coughs> I mention this because I see far, far too many definitions of disciple that neglect the becoming part, which is tragic because the becoming part is essentially the point. This is the goal. Disciples are people who are becoming more and more like Jesus. They're becoming more and more like their Lord. <coughs> Disciples are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And here I'm just borrowing language from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You already understand this concept if you're into the uh, sci-fi genre, perhaps, where it seems as though some master is always training a prodigy for galactical exploits. If you're familiar with Star Wars, you know that this is like 50% of the narrative. But again, it's not, it's not really about what the prodigies are doing. It's about who they're becoming. This is emphasized over and over again. Yes, you want to know how to use a lightsaber, but ultimately it's about becoming a Jedi. I have not been to Comic-Con, which I understand is my loss. But what I have been told about it, and YouTube, YouTube kind of confirms this to some degree, is that many folks attending as particular characters, which is sort of, it's the thing to do. You don't just go, you go as a character. Uh, they're not content to, to just wear a costume and carry some props around, right? They actually, this is very interesting, I'd like to see this. They actually try to be the character. They try to get into that character's headspace. That's a disciple. What does this transformation entail for disciples of Jesus? Three layers that we find broadly in the book of Matthew. Number one, missional redirection. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, very famously, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So instead of living for themselves, disciples participate in King Jesus' mission to establish his kingdom and gather people into his kingdom family. This is not simply a list of do's and don'ts. It's an entirely new framework for our lives that influences the way that we think about our vocations and our friendships and our family lives and, and so forth. So missional redirection. Second layer is we get a new moral vision, a totally new moral vision. Disciples adopt kingdom values that Jesus preached, for example, very famously in the Sermon on the Mount contained in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's, it's a moral vision that, that at some points will intersect with contemporary values, but at other points will not, thereby finding a certain amount of common ground while always being prophetic. We'll find a certain amount of beauty and truth in some of our cultural narratives, but in other ways, we will always be cultural oddballs. Third layer, new affections. So missional redirection, new moral vision, 
and then new affections. New kingdom values ultimately reflect our new affections and priorities, which are wrapped up in loving one another sacrificially and primarily loving Jesus and and worshiping the king. And Jesus emphasizes this and summarizes this very famously in Matthew chapter 22. This is the kind of transformation, missional redirection, right? New moral vision, new affections. This is the kind of transformation the disciples experience as they walk with Jesus, a process that then culminates in their commissioning to go make more disciples and really make sense only in light of that transformation. Why would you want to go make more disciples unless you've experienced this kind of transformation as you spent time with Jesus? So on one hand, the Great commissioning occurs at the end of Matthew because Jesus had risen from the dead and his ascension was very imminent, making it necessary to give his disciples some parting instructions. But on the other hand, the timing of Jesus' ascension was surely related to the readiness of the disciples. I mean, Jesus knew what he was doing. As the disciples have followed Jesus, they've learned from him, they've watched him, They've gone out on these little mini-missions and then come back and debrief them with them. You can see that in Luke chapter 10. And accordingly, they've experienced transformation. Because spending time in the Lord's presence, learning from him and depending on him, it changes us. Spend time in the Lord's presence, and it will change you. The process is often slower than we might prefer. It's It's fraught with all of these bumps and surprises, but we do change. Somewhat recently, I was sitting, uh, I was getting my hair cut, and I don't know why this happened, but the hairstylist and myself, we were were looking at the front door of the, the hair salon, and we noticed that there was a moth on it, and then we were looking at it, and it seemed like the moth wasn't moving, but then we would look at it again like five minutes later. I was like, no, it's moving, because you can see like a little like a little residue trail behind it. So when you looked at it directly, it didn't look like it was moving, but it was moving. And transformation is often very much like that. In the moment, it's like, is anything happening that you look back over five, ten years? Okay, something is happening. It's just, it's just darn slow. So the disciples were ready to be sent because being disciples means experiencing transformation and the presence of the Lord. But remember that even though Jesus was leaving them, he was also sending them the Holy Spirit to live in them and among them and empower their mission. John chapter 14, John chapter 16. So you see all this is kind of fitting together really nicely. Disciples experience transformation as they humbly enjoy the Lord's presence, learning from him and depending on him. And then the same Lord who is present with us empowers us for our mission. He's doing everything. The Lord's presence This is important. We'll come back to this. The Lord's presence with his disciples is the key to making this whole thing work. Transformation and mission. Every year at City Church, we, we here essentially, meaning our pastors, our staff, and our elders, we present a theme to City Church that reflects our priorities for the coming year, often trying to frame that theme with like maybe one catchy word, or a few words, something like that. So our word for this year, you ready for it? You probably know what's coming. Our word for this year is transformation. 
Transformation. Since we desire to be disciples, we'll get to the disciple-making thing in a little bit, but because we desire to be disciples, that involves, by nature, an ongoing process of spiritual transformation in which we become more like Jesus. Why this theme? There's a lot of reasons, but I want to mention this. To make sure that our emphasis here at City Church on being welcoming and hospitable, very important values that I think the Lord has richly blessed, but we want to make sure that our emphasis here at City Church on being welcoming and hospitable leads people straight to Jesus and does not morph into an emphasis on simply affirming one another and being affirmed. We're going to unpack that. Yes, we welcome. Yes, we show hospitality. But then, and here's the really important turn, instead of simply affirming the rightness of one another, we affirm the rightness and beauty of Jesus, and we point people to him. I am noticing this trend I would say among Christians in the West, and I don't really know how much this has affected us here at City Church. I'm always very encouraged by our church family, so you'll have to sort of be the judge of this, but I'm, I'm noticing a trend among Christians, and it, it, especially in the United States, maybe, in which it seems as though many of us are trying to find spiritual communities, churches or otherwise, that will simply kind of tell us how right we are concerning our already established views on ethics or politics or whatever, We're looking for affirmation and community support as we try to find meaning in in very self-directed ways rather than thirsting for transformation and meaning in Jesus. It's not surprising, uh, given the narratives of our cultural moment which promote all of that, so it's not surprising that we would sort of Christianize some of it and it would make its way into the Church of Jesus Christ. And I got to say somewhat as an aside here, but... This posture, looking mainly for affirmation rather than transformation, has definitely contributed to some of the conflict and some of the fragmentation that's affected so many churches in the past couple of years. It's a bit of a heady quote here, but I want to throw it out there for your consideration. Alan Noble puts it like this in a phenomenal book he recently released called You Are Not Your Own. He says it like this, the great danger in allowing or asking a community to aid you in discovering meaning, basically through affirmation only, is that at some point the community is going to overstep its bounds and try to enforce meaning, in other words, to challenge you rather than affirm you. Perhaps you attend a church because it feels like home. You appreciate that the church community shares many of your own political attitudes, but then one Sunday morning the pastor denounces a sin, some behavior that you hold quite dear. You are likely to feel betrayed by that community and leave to find one that actually now feels like home. When we are looking for affirmation, we are tempted to leave when we don't get it and just bounce around from place to place to place. And then as churches realize this, the trend is that they are tempted to simply affirm, affirm, affirm and ditch the prophetic in the name of hospitality and not making anyone feel uncomfortable and so forth. But this is very important. Churches... Churches are transformation centers, not affirmation centers. Because Jesus is the head of the church. He's the creator of all things, including truth and meaning, by the way. 
is all about transformation into his likeness for the sake of his glory and the sake, wait for it, of our joy. And so by the grace of God, our desire here at City Church <coughs> is to be a transformation center in which, at the close of every year, <coughs> those of us in our church family can point to ways, maybe small ways, but can point to ways in which they've matured spiritually and become more like Jesus. We are not saying, oh, wow, you guys call yourself Christians. Well, goodness, you'd better get your act together and start living like it. That's just scolding 101 that has zero transformative power. Waste of time. But we are saying one of the privileges of being a follower of Jesus is becoming more like him. We are saying not only is the grace of God found in our salvation when we repent of our sin and put our hope in Jesus, it's also found in our ongoing transformation into his likeness. Yes, the journey with Jesus will be uncomfortable. There will be seasons of pruning that we might mature and blossom. Yes, there will continue to be necessary occasions for confession and for repentance. Yes, at times we will have to say hard things to one another in love, to, to rebuke one another with kindness, as the psalmist puts it in Psalm 141. Yes, at times we will have to come to terms with being wrong about something and, and even change our minds, which I think has got to be one of the most countercultural things about following Jesus these days. My goodness. Yes, following Jesus will mean denying ourselves and taking up our cross, Matthew 16, verse 24. But as we humbly submit ourselves to Jesus' authority and learn from him, we become like him, and therein lies a kind of joy that nothing in the universe can possibly provide. And oh, by the way, our transformation, it glorifies God, and it blesses the world. So we get a joy that nothing else can match. It glorifies God, and it blesses the world. City Church family, so here's a question. What might it look like this year for us to become more like Jesus in all the categories we just talked about? Missional alignment, moral vision, our affections. I would encourage you to maybe try to come up with an answer to that. Today, this week, all these, these baking shows are very popular right now. All of you guys watch baking shows, and if, if you say you don't, you're lying. Everyone's watching some of them. Keep getting surprised by this. If transformation is a cake, how would you bake it, right? What ingredients will you need to experience transformation in Christ, in Christ Jesus this year? And remember that the catalyst for transformation is the presence of God. Of course, he's always with us now very intimately and personally through the agency of the Holy Spirit, and that's, in fact, basically the gist of the final promise that Jesus leaves his disciples in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so the Lord is with us. The question is, will we be with him? He's with us. Will we be with him? Will we be learning from him? Will we be enjoying him? And then in faith, will we take steps of obedience, even if they're profoundly uncomfortable? And then will we process the results of those steps with the Lord and, and wrestle with him through all of that? I'll leave the minutia of the 
transformation plan to all of you because it will look different in different circumstances for different people. But clearly, I want to say this, it will involve spending time with the Lord in his presence. It will definitely involve that through scripture meditation, prayer, fasting, confession and repentance, Sabbath, participating in communities in which we speak both truth and grace to each other, taking steps of obedience and then debriefing our experiences with the Lord and with one another. And I want you to understand, I want us to know that our, our community groups, our Sunday mornings, our community engagement initiatives, the whole deal, your goal here is transformation, that we would be changed and become more like Christ. This is tongue-in-cheek, but I get pretty fired up about this. If you're looking merely for affirmation, maybe ask Siri for some personalized compliments or find an echo chamber on Reddit with people who already agree with you on everything, if that's what you want. If you're looking for transformation, though, I would recommend the plan we just outlined. And that's the kind of plan we'd like to be about here and intend to be about here at City Church and everything that we do. There's a possible objection here. Chipper, are you sure about transformation? I mean, isn't Jesus all about rest? And we just spent like the last couple of years talking about rest. You know, haven't, haven't we been talking about Matthew 11 in which Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Haven't we been talking about that? Yes, we sure have been. But, and this is really important, the rest that Jesus invites us into isn't static rest. It's dynamic rest in which, check out this exchange, we give our burdens to Jesus, and then he turns our lives upside down and changes us. Burdens go to Jesus, he turns our lives upside down and makes us different and changes us and makes us more like him. So transformation and rest go together. Now I mentioned that our, our transformation ends up blessing the world, and some of that is related to our, our new moral vision and our, our new affections. As it turns out, things just work better when we live according to Jesus' plan, when we love him above all else and prioritize the interests of other people above our own. You do that, and the world just works better. But it's also, the way that we bless the world is also related to our new mission, which involves, as Jesus puts it, making more disciples. So, so very briefly here, told you we were going to spend most of our time talking about what a disciple is. So briefly here, how do we actually make disciples? And what might that look like at City Church this year? We're going to get into the house, but before we do that, can we please notice with great joy and encouragement that disciples are makeable? According to Jesus, if I'm reading this right, Disciples can make more disciples, and in fact, the implication of Jesus' exhortation is that more disciples will be made when we faithfully adopt the mission. And certainly in, in the immediate context of our passage, anything less than very confident, hope-filled exhortations would have been rather unhelpful. You can see in verse 16 that Jesus was meeting with his disciples in Galilee, a meeting that was prearranged back in verse 10 that probably included more folks than just the original 12, now 11. So they were there, but also probably some other followers of Jesus. And when they saw Jesus, some worshipped him, probably the original disciples, because they had more time to process Jesus' resurrection and wrap their minds around it. 
But others in the crowd hadn't seen Jesus yet, the resurrected Jesus, so when they saw him, they were hesitant. They still had their doubts. It's not immediately clear why they doubted, but consider that Jesus' entire ministry had been very different than what people expected, certainly including his death and resurrection. There was a whole lot to process, and, and folks were processing all this with a mixture of joy and fear. So this was, this was just not the time for Jesus to give uncertain, willy-nilly kinds of instructions. This was the time for confident, hope-filled exhortations, which is exactly what we get from Jesus' disciples. Go make more disciples, because they're going to get made. You go out there faithfully and watch what happens. And by the way, I can speak like this, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, verse 18. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be with you, verse 20. Church, right now we live in such a jaded cynical, sarcastic world. And I like sarcasm, but we are crossing some lines. So much cynicism right now everywhere. Let me ask you this important question. Has that cynicism invaded your soul? Are you perhaps walking around with a sort of cynical spirituality in which your Christianity is a Christianity without any transformative power? when you're functionally an atheist, when it comes to the power of God to really change you and change other people? If so, if that describes you, behold the confidence of Jesus and the Great Commission. He's sending us out for a reason, and he knows what's up more than we do. It just does not matter how much of a disaster the world might seem to be. Disciples will continue to be made. In Christ, all of us have permission to be joyfully positive about disciple-making. But how do we make them? Verses 19 and 20. Going, baptizing, teaching them to observe or obey all that Jesus has commanded. This isn't very apparent in our English Bibles, but the primary exhortation, the action here is make disciples of all nations. That's the exhortation, and the going, the baptizing, and the teaching all describe their participles that describe how we make disciples of all nations. First, the going. We're not necessarily talking about street evangelism. It might mean that for some of you, but we are talking about intentionally leaving our comfort zones to bring Jesus to people. And this will look different for different people. But here's the thing, it will look like something. Some people will go abroad, but even more of us will do the long, slow work of making disciples in our neighborhoods, in our apartment complexes, our dorms, in our workplaces. How will we leave our comfort zones this year? What will it look like for you? Don't worry too much about the other person. What will it look like for you? How is the Lord calling you and equipping you? If you don't know where to start, I would. this is for free. If you don't know where to start, like I have no idea what... Listen, find someone who's hurting. By the way, lots of opportunity these days. Find someone who's hurting and simply start listening to them and asking important questions that suggest that you have been listening to them and that you care about them. Show them that you care, which is just a, a head-turning ministry in a world full of folks who are too self-concerned. 
So listen carefully and ask good questions. And then just see what God does. I mean, see what opportunities the Lord might give you to talk about Jesus, the one who, Matthew 1, 21, says came to save his people from their sins, the one who invites us to actually cast his burdens upon him, our burdens upon him, and rest in him. Baptizing. So we're going, we're baptizing. We're calling people to publicly profess their faith in Jesus and their belonging to God's people. It's certainly not less than baptizing folks, literally, like out on the sidewalk in our Rubbermaid tub like we do here at City Church. May the Lord help us baptize all kinds of people this year. It's not less than that, but it's more than that too because as you know, baptism stories, when people are reading their stories about the grace of God in their life, it often involves many people over a lot of years who have been faithfully ministering to those folks. 10 people, 15 people, long stretches of time. And again, baptism reminds us that when we follow Jesus, we're, we're being grafted into a community. It's not this individualistic thing. We're becoming part of a people, and baptism is part of that, and it signifies that. And finally, we're teaching people to observe or to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And this involves, here's how you're going to do this. Here's the key. If you're wondering, I would never do that. This is so out of line culturally, teaching people to obey. Oh, my word. Here's how you're going to do this. You're going to do this if you are convinced that obedience to Jesus is the pathway to joy. That's when you'll do it. I found the following comments from Garrett Kell, the pastor in the D.C. area, really helpful. He says, when God told Adam and Eve to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he was actually protecting their joy. God was saying, you don't want to know the difference between good and evil. And to that point... All they knew was good. Eden was a perfect world. God was saying, you don't want to know what evil is. You don't want to know war and lies and racism and shootings and children's cancer wards, death, funerals. You don't want to know evil. I am protecting you with my command. God denies us nothing that would bring us lasting happiness, nor does he withhold anything that would grant us lasting joy. Sin always steals from you and leaves you sorrowful, and here's the kicker. Obedience to God's commands always leads to lasting joy. You will teach unto obedience if you believe that. Some of that teaching will involve do this. <coughs> Some of that teaching will involve don't do this, perhaps the most uncomfortable kind. I mean, good grief. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says that we should put to death what is earthly in you. That's a rather strong don't do. But he's saying this, that we might walk in obedience to Jesus and actually enjoy life in him. This is what we intend to be up to here at City Church this year, really every year. But this is what we intend to be up to here at City Church. Will you join us? Will you pray for us? Let me close with one final word of encouragement. At the end of the day, who, who makes disciples? God. That's where the power comes from. We're faithful, and then we release the results to him. When people become followers of Jesus, we glorify God. When it doesn't seem like anything's happening, when it seems like, why won't these people change? We keep going, and we trust that God is at work. And here's the other thing, because I just love this clip from Thomas Kempis. 
when we're really frustrated that those people out there, they're not changing. Thomas Akempis says this. I'll just kind of end on this. Be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. So we, res- we release the results to God, glorifying him when disciples are made, trusting him when we don't see any change, that he is at work. And instead of getting frustrated when people aren't changing, we humbly consider our own estate. And once again, the king will be with us. He will be with us to the end of the age. Amen.